And uh, I'm thankful that what we believe is based on a sure foundation of the Word of God. And uh, we uh, appreciate, uh, I don't normally uh, request songs, but uh, last uh, Sunday I asked Brother Chuck if, if he would sing that song today. And I appreciate, uh, appreciate that. Genesis chapter number 3. If you'll stand with me please for the reading of God's Word. Genesis chapter number 3. And we'll read the first seven verses of this chapter. And again, thank you for being here. It's a tremendous Sunday morning crowd. And uh, I don't know if there's more of you or if there's more of you. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm glad you got that. I didn't have to repeat it. But anyway, uh, Genesis chapter number 3, and we'll begin reading in verse number 1. The Bible says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods. Notice the little, little g gods, knowing good and evil. Verse 6, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Verse 7, And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. I want to preach to you this morning on something that is in Satan's arsenal, one of his choice weapons that he uses against us, and he's been using it since the beginning of time, and it's something called doubt, D-O-U-B-T, doubt. And so let's pray together. Our Father, I pray that you help us in these next few moments as we try to be a blessing and a help and encouragement. <clears throat> uh, Father, these are good folks, and, and uh, the church family is assembled together on this Lord's Day. And uh, Father, for those of us who know Christ, we are brothers and sisters in the Lord. And uh, Father, for those among us who may not know Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior, uh, may this be the day of salvation uh, for them. But Father, Satan has been using the same weapons for 6,000 plus years now on the human race, whether on saved or lost. And one of those weapons is doubt and Father, I pray that you'd help us to overcome uh, Satan's arsenal by the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit who lives within us. I pray that you'd uh, meet with us this morning in a special way. Bless our time together around your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. The devil's been doing his work for over 6,000 years, and you have to give him credit because he's pretty good at what he does. And uh, let's face it, if you did the same thing for 6,000 years, you'd be pretty good at it as well. But since the beginning of time, <clears throat> Satan has, has been uh, deceiving people. Even right here in the story that we read, Genesis chapter 3, that we read about the fall of man and, uh, and the fact that uh, Satan, in the form of a serpent, came to Eve and he deceived her. The Bible says that Eve was deceived in the transgression. Adam, he knew what was going to happen when he partook of that forbidden fruit, but he did it anyway. 
and plunge the whole human race into sin. And the devil has, has been at these tricks and these uh, subtleties now for a very long time. He has two plans in mind for every human being. Now hear me carefully this morning. Satan has two plans in mind for every human being. Plan A is for you and I to spend eternity in hell. That's what Satan would want for you and for me. Uh, he would love it if you would refuse Christ for your entire existence on this earth and uh, end up in a place called hell. By the way, hell is a real place. It's not a figment of somebody's imagination. It's not something that, uh, oh, I know modern man has tried to dismiss it and tried to explain it away and tried to water it down and tried to, uh, to, uh, to make it something of a, a, a mystic type of uh, a fairy tale land. But no, hell's a real place. The Bible says it's a place where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. The Bible refers to it as a place of outer darkness where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. The Bible describes it as a place of literal fire. It's described as a place of separation from God. It's described as a place where uh, folks who go there will spend eternity. There is no hope. There is no second chance. There is no uh, uh, middle ground, so to speak. There's no purgatory. The Bible doesn't speak of a purgatory. Just a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And Satan's number one goal for my life and for your life is that we would reject the grace of God, reject the payment that Jesus Christ made on Calvary's cross 2,000 years ago, and to end up in that awful, horrific place called hell. However, when a person trusts Christ, plan A is ruined. When a person comes to know the Lord as personal Savior, uh, Satan's number one aim for your life is totally vanquished and ruined. But keep something in mind. That doesn't mean he leaves you alone and, uh, and just never bothers you again. That doesn't happen. You see, there's a plan B that Satan has uh, in mind for us. Plan B is for you and I to be as ineffective for the glory of God as much as possible. Satan's plan A, once that's ruined, hey, uh, by the way, once saved, always saved. Once I received Jesus Christ as my Savior, plan A was done for, and it'll, it'll never be an option again for Satan because I'm saved once and I'm saved forever. <clears throat> Not because of me in spite of me, because of the grace of God, because of what Jesus did for me. However, plan B, Satan wants me to be as ineffective for the Lord as possible. In Luke chapter 22 and verse number 31, Jesus here speaking to Peter and he said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Now, wait a minute. Jesus said to Peter, Satan wants to have you, Peter. Peter was saved. Jesus was not saying, Peter, <coughs> Satan uh, has, in goal, ha has a goal to take you to hell because that wasn't possible. Peter understood who Jesus was. He knew Jesus was the Messiah, confessed him as the Messiah, received Jesus as his own personal Savior. Jesus was not saying to Peter that, uh, Peter, you're in danger of going to hell. What he was saying was, he said, Satan would love to sift you as wheat. In other words, he wants to destroy you, Peter. He wants to render your life useless, Peter. He said in verse 32, But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. So understand from this passage, Satan wants to destroy your life. If you're unsaved, he wants to keep you that way. 
If you're in here this morning and you don't know heaven is your home, you don't know that, that, uh, uh, that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. If you're here this morning and you don't know that you've been saved, you don't know Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior, all of those are interchangeable terms, but Satan wants to keep it that way. He wants you to die in a lost condition. He wants you to die not knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior. He wants you to think that you can earn your way to heaven. He would have you believe that you could come to enough church services to earn God's uh, favor and get to heaven that way. Or he would have you believe that you could get dunked in a tank of water and, uh, and be baptized and go to heaven that way. Uh, baptism won't take you to heaven. Church attendance won't take you to heaven. He would have you believe that you could do enough good deeds. He would have you believe that you could throw enough, uh, uh, enough money into the Salvation Army kettle at Christmas time and somehow earn God's favor and somehow get to heaven that way. He would lie to you and try to deceive you into thinking there's another way to get to heaven other than Christ. But friend, there is no other way. There is no other way. But uh, once you've received Christ, he wants to render your life and my life ineffective for the cause of Christ, useless to the cause of Christ. Now, he'll do that in any way he can. Satan has a lot of weapons in his arsenal to try to render those of us who are saved ineffective for the cause of Christ. And he doesn't much care which weapon is useful against us as long as the job is accomplished. The reason why he wants to destroy us is not really about us, it's about God. He hates God. He'll do anything to get at God. You see, uh, you and I are the objects of God's love. We are the objects of God's affection. Oh, I don't care who you are this morning. God loves you. There's a God in heaven. You are the apple of his eye. He created you, and, uh, and, uh, and he, wants, he loves you more than you could possibly understand. He wants you to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He wants you to come to that point where you understand you can't save yourself and that salvation is all of grace and none of you. He wants that. He loves you this morning. He gave his only begotten son to down a cross so that you could go to heaven. The whole reason why we have a Christmas story is because of Christ. If there is no Christ, there is no Christmas. If there is no baby in a manger, that baby can't grow up and he can't uh, uh, be the uh, sinless, perfect Lamb of God come to take away the sins of the world. That's why he came. And my friend, understand something. He, uh, God loves you. He loves you this morning. Don't ever, hey, by the way, greatest news you'll ever hear. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They're weak, but he is strong. Oh, it's a song that I heard as a child, but it's as precious today as it ever has been. The fact that Jesus loves me and Jesus loves you. Now, Satan sees that you and I have a lot of potential to bring glory to God. That's why we were made. The Bible says that we were made for God's pleasure. We were made for, to bring glory and honor uh, and, uh, and adoration to God. And his objective is to render you and I useless in bringing glory to God. One way he does this is through temptation. He wants to get us to sin, uh, whether it's pride or whether it's immorality. or There's a number of different things that he can use. But Satan will very subtly get us to a position where he wants us to we'll, we'll, we'll compromise. He wants us to get really comfortable with sin. He wants us to see that sin, well, that's not so bad. He wants us to view sin as, well, that's okay. But, but uh, he wants us to get really cozy with it, if you will. Because the Bible says that sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And the Bible tells us that sin separates us from God. 
Sin keeps us from bringing glory to God. Uh, if you're here this morning and you're saved, oh, you'll never, have, you'll never go to hell because the eternal penalty of your sin has been paid for and was done so uh, by Christ on Calvary. However, he wants you to fall prey to sin if you're saved so that he can drive a wedge between you and God. That's what sin does. It drives a wedge between you and fellowship with your heavenly Father. Now, how does he do this? How does he do this? He does it through sin and temptation. Uh, another way he tries to render our lives useless is through discouragement. He tries to get us discouraged in the way. Uh, I think about Elijah, who uh, that after that great contest with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, he got discouraged the next day and, and despondent and so forth. And Satan got a victory, a temporary victory in his life because of discouragement. The devil really doesn't care how he limits your effectiveness for the Lord as long as it happens. And there are several other things, but this morning I want to, to, uh, to, to bring something to your attention, something called doubt. Doubt. Here in our text is the first time we see a question mark from the devil. He said to Eve in the Garden of Eden, he said, Yea, hath God said? Is that really what God said? Now notice, he didn't come out right away. Now later on he does. But his first approach to Eve was really just to question something that God had already stated. Satan is very good about putting a question mark where God puts a period. He's very good about questioning what God says this is absolute truth. And Satan will come along and say, is it really absolute? Is it really truth? Is it, uh, here's a good word that has been uh, a term that's been coined in the last uh, generation or so that's been popularized. Everything is relative. That's what Satan would have you believe. He would have you believe that there is no right, there is no wrong, there is no absolute truth, there is no final authority called the Word of God. Uh, it's just man-made. It's just uh, some interpretation. It's just some translation. It's just some this or just some that. Satan is a master at putting a question mark where God has put a period. Doubt. Not an outright contradiction. He said to Eve, he said, Yea, hath God said. And then later on he goes on and said, Ye shall not surely die. But he started with doubt. I want to help you with this matter of doubt this morning because doubt has a way of being used by Satan to gain an advantage in our lives. Let me share with you, first of all, Satan would love for you to doubt God's word. He'd love for you to doubt God's word. Word. Notice here in Genesis chapter 3 what he did when it first came to this first married couple, Adam and Eve. The first words recorded in the Bible to Eve was a question, Yea, hath God said? Specifically, Satan likes to question God's authority. The authority here in Genesis chapter 3 is the same authority that he likes to question in your life today. That's God's authority. God's authority. Notice the attack here on God's authority first comes with the words, is that really what God said? Is that really what God meant? Does God really know what he's talking about? Again, the devil cannot force you to sin, but he has become very skillful with this weapon, this tool in his toolbox, if you will, and he's become very skillful at using this tool to cause us to doubt God, and we doubt God when we doubt his word. Listen very carefully. This book is, is, should be at the center of your life. 
Why is that, preacher? Because it, it represents God's authority. That's why. It represents God's authority. This book ought to be the premier book. Look, it's not just, it's not just a book. No, this is the book. The word of God that liveth and abideth forever. Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. It's settled. There's no question. There's no discussion of it. There's no debate over it. Nobody, hey, nobody in heaven ever brings up, well, I think we need to have a, uh, a biblical convention to determine whether or not God's word is still God's word. You never have that debate in heaven. Why? Because God's word is settled. And if it's settled in heaven, it ought to be settled in the hearts of those that have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Yes, we ought to know what we believe. And what we believe ought to be based on the authority of the Word of God. But Satan comes to us and he says, Yeah, I don't know about that. Do you really believe that? Can God be trusted with that? Is that really what God said? It's critical that you become very familiar with God's Word. It's critical that you make a habit of obeying God's Word. You see, the, the, the Bible ought to be more to you than just sign, some kind of a good luck charm. <laughs> it, ought to be more, it ought to mean more to you than just something that, that, that is an heirloom. And thank God for, for family Bibles and heirlooms that have been passed down from generation to generation. But it's not, just, it's not just an heirloom, my friend. Hey, it ought to be our standard of living. Psalm 119, verse number 9, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. You say, preacher, I'm struggling with a besetting sin in my life. What do I do? Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way, the Bible says. Take heed to the Bible. Obey the scripture. Read it. Meditate upon it. Love it. Live it. Apply it to our lives. Attitudes you should have toward the Bible. Hey, you ought to, you ought to keep it nearby all the time. Boy, it ought to be precious to you. It ought to be precious to you. The Word of God, the Bible says over in the book of 1 Samuel, it talks about the Word of God was precious in the days of young Samuel. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean exactly, uh, the, the word precious mean it was rare. There was no open vision, the Bible said. There was, it, was, it was a rare thing for God to reveal himself and to reveal his truth to man. That's why it says of that time, though there was no open vision. The word of God was precious in those days. Well, you know, we can apply that to our lives today. The word of God ought to be precious to us. Hey, if you're going to be a success in 2020, you know, one month from right now, we'll be talking about New Year resolutions and what we're going to do in the new year and all this kind of stuff. Hey, let me tell you, let me just make it real plain and simple. If I'll base my life upon the Word of God, if I love it and live it and read it and meditate upon it and, and, uh, and let it uh, permeate my life, hey, I'll have a good 2020. Hear it. Romans 10, 17, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Oh, listen, don't, don't slack the opportunity. Don't miss out on opportunities going forward to hear the word of God. That's why church is important. That's why church, hey, that's why, that's why your own personal devotions are important. That's why you ought, you ought to surround yourself with the word of God. Why? It, it, it's where faith comes from. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Hey, when my, weak, my, my, uh, my faith is weakened, well, I, I, need a, I need a vitamin, spiritual uh, B12 shot of the word of God because that's where the strength comes from. That's where the spiritual energy comes from. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Memorize it. 
Memorize it. Psalm 119.11, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Obey it. Joshua chapter 1 and verse number 8, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe, don't miss it, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For there, or then shalt thou make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Obey it. Obey it. Oh, Satan came to Eve there in the garden and said, Hey, is this really what God said? He cast doubt upon the Word of God. The great debate, the great fight, spiritually speaking, in our country today is about the validity and the veracity and the truth of the Word of God. Hey, I hold in my hand the inspired Word of God. You say, Preacher, God wrote the Bible. You know, wait a minute. That's, uh, that was published by uh, you know, Oxford Press or Thomas Nelson Press or whatever. Hey, let me tell you something. The same God who inspired it to holy men of God who, who, uh, who were moved by the Holy Spirit of old, that same God is plenty capable of preserving it. It's preserved. Hey, it's as inspired today as it was when God spoke it. Hey, I'm simply saying, Jesus referenced it in Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 4. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. He didn't say most words. He didn't say a select group of words. He didn't say the thoughts. He didn't say some of them. He didn't say a good collection of them. He didn't say the proper translation. No, sir. He said, man shall live by every word of God. And you hear me this morning. The devil would love to get your life into a, into a, a state of doubt, uh, doubting God's word, doubting God's provision. He wants you to doubt the Lord. He wants you to doubt God and what he said. Here, here's another one. He wants you to doubt that God is able to provide for you. Over in the book of Psalms, the Bible says that God's people tempted God in the wilderness by asking a question. And the question was this, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? They got out there, God had led them by the hand of Moses across the Red Sea and into the wilderness, and they began to murmur and complain because there's two and a half, three million of them. They're in a desert, not much food in the desert. And so they began to murmur and complain, and they said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Notice the, notice the question there. Again, doubting God. Can God? Can God? Satan wants God's people to doubt God's authority. He wants you to doubt God's provision. If you're here this morning, you're, you, may, you, 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 you may look at the road ahead in your life, and you have a question mark where God wants there to be a period. It's not, can God, it's God can. It's not, is God able to? No, God is able to. The same God that brought you thus far is the same God that will lead you home one day. I love the song, uh, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, and uh, we sing it often, but uh, tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and the grace of God will lead me home. Hey, the question this morning is not, can God? No, it's a statement, my friend, God can. Satan wants you to doubt everything that God has ever said in his word. He wants you to doubt God's word. He wants you to doubt God's provision. He wants you in your later years to doubt whether or not God, uh, God can lead you the rest of the way. Can I help you? God can. Amen. Teenager, you may have doubts about God's leadership in your future. You may be getting ready to graduate high school, or maybe you're in college, and it's, uh, let's see, I saw, uh, I saw uh, Austin, uh, wave at me, Austin, where are you at? Oh, there he is. <coughs> Man, you always sit over here, now you're all switching around on me. And, 
Oh, man, look, I'm, I'm 50 now, okay? And sometimes, you know, anyway, don't confuse guys like this. But anyway, <clears throat> you know, you may be in high school or college and, and, uh, and, and you're, you're, you're just getting started in life and you may ask the question, can God? No, the, it's not a question, it's a statement, God can. The same God that led you to this point in your life, whatever point that is, my friend, is the same God who can lead you home. He can lead you home. His provision his provision, not only his provision, Satan wants you to doubt God's authority. He wants you to doubt God's provision. Hey, he wants you to doubt God's presence. He wants you to doubt God's presence. Jesus said to his disciples, he said uh, uh, just before he ascended back to heaven, he gave what we know as the Great Commission. He said, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now, wait a minute. Either he said he's going to be with us or he was lying. <laughs> He said, if I leave, I'll send you another comforter. Now, either he did that or he lied when he said, no, he gave us the comforter. The Holy Spirit of God is with us. We do have his presence. I'm simply saying Satan would have you to doubt God's word. He would have you to doubt God's provision. He would have you to doubt God's presence in your life. Oh, listen to me very carefully. Don't give in to the tools and the tactics of Satan himself. Don't put a question mark where God put a period. Satan would have you <clears throat> to doubt God's will. He'd have you to doubt God's will. He, he wants to cause you to, to doubt that God has a purpose for your life. Oh, God has a purpose for your life. God has some general things for everybody that he wants you to accomplish or that, to accomplish in your life, I should say. First of all, God's will is for everybody to be saved. God's will is for you to be saved. Pastor, what does God want for me? Well, first of all, he wants you to go to heaven, okay? He's not going to force it on you. He's not going to twist your arm. He's, not gonna, he's made you a free moral agent. He's given you a free will. He's given you the, 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 the power to choose and to decide for yourself, just like he gave to Adam and Eve there in the Garden of Eden. But he, his will is for you and I to go to heaven. Listen, to, listen very carefully. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, here it is, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's not willing that any should fool me on this mess where God has hand chosen some to go to heaven, some to go to hell. You won't find that in that book right there. You, you, you got to twist and turn and turn the Bible upside down on its head for you to get that out of there. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's will, not only is that, not only is God's will for everyone to be saved, now not, not everyone's going to be saved, but that's what God wants for you. That's what God desires for you. God's will is for all saved people to be in the process of becoming more like Jesus. It's called sanctification. God's, God wants everybody to be saved. Not everybody will choose to be saved, but that's what God would want for you. And for those of us who are saved, God chooses for us to become more like Jesus. Let me give you a verse. Romans chapter 8, verse number 29. The Bible says, For whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. It doesn't say there he predestined some to heaven and some to hell. It says there that those who are saved, he predestined us to be more like Christ every day. That's what he wants for me, and that's what he wants for you. He wants there to be a bunch of little Jesuses running around here. People who are more and more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's what God wants for you. Hey, Satan wants to doubt place doubts in your mind about that uh satan wants you to doubt your salvation 
By the way, let me say this. If you doubt your salvation, you're in good company. John the Baptist had doubts. If you have doubts about your salvation, may I encourage you this morning to get all that settled before you leave here today? There was a time in my life as a, as a grown adult man, staff member, assistant pastor of Independent Fundamental Baptist Church, and I went through a period of doubting my salvation, but I got it settled, and from that day until this, there's been no doubts, my friend. I'm simply saying, don't live with Satan trying to hang doubts oh, in your mind about what God said is true. Doubting the will of God, doubting the word of God, doubting the provision of God, doubting the presence of God, and then finally this morning, doubting, about, doubting God's work. Doubting God's work. This morning's message centered specifically about this matter of, of, of doubting this, uh, the, what, what Satan is doing and, and Satan placing doubts in your mind about certain aspects. But understand there's many, many Christians who struggle about the doubts of your salvation. May I say Satan wants you to doubt? Why? Why would Satan want you to doubt your salvation? Well, first of all, it robs you of your joy. It robs you of your joy. I can speak from personal experience here. In that small window of time, I'm talking two or three weeks maybe, where I was having doubts about my own salvation, <clears throat> in that time span, I was one miserable pup. I was, I was in a bad way, Brother Dave. In a bad way. Why? <clears throat> because that's what doubting your salvation does for you. Get it settled. Get it, hey, don't live with that. Don't, don't, uh, uh, it hinders your, your joy. It hinders your service. It ultimately robs God of the glory that he deserves. And in the garden, Satan convinced Eve that there were no absolutes. He said to her, Eve, you can't be sure of what God said. And Satan would have you and I think, you know, there are no absolutes. You can't be sure of anything. Oh, you can be sure of some things. You can be sure of salvation because you have God's word on it. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know, K-N-O-W, that you may know that you have eternal life. By the way, present tense, that you have it right now. Not something that you might have down the road if you hang on. No, no, no. I'm not hanging on to him. I'm in his hand, and he's in the Father's hands. Hey, it's, it's a done deal. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. Why? Because I have God's word on it. Satan can't take that away, but he'd have you doubt it. He'd have, you, he'd have your, your joy diminished and your service diminished. You say, preacher, what do I do with doubts? Number one, realize everyone is susceptible to doubt. Very quick, a quick prescription here for you before we close. What do I do when I doubt? Realize everyone is susceptible to doubts. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, and so on. <clears throat> it's common. Satan wants you to doubt, and everyone is susceptible to doubts. Maybe not doubts about your salvation, but there's Christians in this room. You're having doubts about other aspects of life right now. You say, preacher, what do I do? Realize everyone's susceptible to doubts. Uh, what, what else do I do? Number two, rehearse your testimony. Rehearse your testimony. In Revelation chapter 4, in verse number, uh, Revelation chapter 12, rather, verse number 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, notice this, and by the word of their testimony. Relive your testimony. You know, sometimes I think we stray far away from our salvation experience in our own memory. 
The longer I'm saved, the longer I live, the, the more days God gives me here on this earth to serve Him. There, it's a danger to all of us, but we need to go back on a regular basis. Go back in your mind's eye. Think about where you were. Think about the occasion when you got saved. Think about whether it's at an altar or at your home somewhere, or maybe somebody met you on the street. Whatever, whatever. I know your, your testimony is unique to you, but whatever that is, you go back to that place where you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you go back over and over and over and over again. What does that do? It helps you. It helps you. And then number three, realize God is, God is greater than my doubts. God is greater than my doubts. 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 19, And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. I was talking to a lady not long ago, and she, <clears throat> she bowed her head, and she asked Jesus to come into her heart and receive Christ as her Savior, and we got done, and I'm trying to give her some assurance. And, and I said, uh, ma'am, if you died today, now where would you go? She said, i go to hell. I said, wait a minute, <laughs> that's not the answer we were looking for there. <laughs> and so we backed up, and <clears throat> we tried to give her some more uh, verses and so forth and showed her First John 5, 13 and Titus 1, 2, where it says, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, and John 3, 36, and, uh, and so on. And uh, I said, did you realize that you were a sinner? Yes, I did. Do you realize there's a penalty for your sin? Yes, I did. Did you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and He died on the cross and was buried and rose again so that you could go to heaven? Yes, I do. And did you, uh, as best you know how, did you receive Him as your Savior? Yes, I did. So according to the Bible, where would you go? She said, I just feel in my heart that I'm still going to hell. I said, <laughs> So I took her to 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 20, the same verse I quoted you a minute ago, where it says this, For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and knoweth all things. You know what? I'm not saved because I feel saved, Brother Dave. I'm saved because God said so. I've got His Word on it. Do you hear that? God said so. He didn't question, look, and he didn't put a question mark behind it. He put a period. He that hath the Son hath life. <laughs> he that hath not the Son of God shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Hey, I need not put a period, or a question mark rather, where God put a period. I need not make a question or allow Satan to put a, make a question what God made as a statement. He that hath the Son hath life. Oh, listen to me very carefully this morning. God doesn't want us to doubt His Word or His will or His work or His provision or His presence. Oh, let me just tell you, you look, God, God can be trusted this morning. God can, he, look, if you can trust Him with your eternity, what can't you trust Him with? Many of you, if not most of you here this morning, by your own testimony, you know you're saved. You're on your way to heaven. That's wonderful. That's great. Okay, you trusted Him with your eternal soul your destiny you trusted him with the most precious thing that you have heaven or hell well if you can trust him with your never dying soul what is there that is temporary in your life that you cannot trust him with see satan would like to come to you and i as as sage people and cast doubts in our minds about God's ability to sustain us all the way through this life. That's what he wants to do. 
He wants to cast doubts in our mind as to God's provision and God's presence. He wants to cast doubts in our mind about God's will and God's word and God's work. The Bible says, he that hath begun a good work in you shall perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. Hey, if you're saved, God's got a plan for your life. God's got a will for you. God's got, God, God's got a place for service. Right? Hey, God's got something for you. I'm simply saying, why don't you just take God at his word? Take God at his word. Satan, from the beginning of time, has been trying to instill doubts in the minds of God's people. Can God? No, God can. <laughs> uh, is it possible for God to do this? Oh, no, no, no. God can do anything. If he can save me, I can trust him with anything else I have. Would you bow your head and close your eyes this morning? Very simple invitation. Two groups of people in the room, either you're saved or you're not.